friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. You know, I don't do it enough. I don't tell you thank you for listening and making this show what a success it's been and continues to be. Ten years, ten years on the air at ESPN with Steve Paulette right by my side the whole time. It's just been a great run, and thanks for telling all your friends and family. I appreciate it. Dr. Clapper. Yep, it's just awesome. So exciting, this this show, this topic at 8.15, you don't want to miss it. The experts in repairing surfboards, not building surfboards, repairing surfboards, are going to be my guests. And I can't wait to ask them the one question. What is it that excites you about repairing someone else's work rather than building a brand new surfboard? And you know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery. I'm going to ask that question in each of those fields as well. This week, I did 14 surgeries. I was busy in the operating room Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But it's a combination of cases. I do a lot of arthritis surgery, a lot of implants surgery, where I'm reconstructing someone's shoulder, their hip, their knee, and making it the way I think it should be, not the way it is. The twists the angle, the curves, the limited motion, the painful range of motion, I get to rebuild from scratch what I want their joint to be, creating a new joint. But I started the week doing a lot of rotator cuff surgery where one of the patients, literally I used special sutures from Arthrex called FiberWire to take a tear in the rotator cuff and repair it. I didn't make a new shoulder in this person. I repaired what they had, what was already there. Tremendous feeling as a surgeon to be able to do it, to put it back where it's supposed to be. That's the feeling you get when you're in the repair business. I totally understand it. But I also know what life is like in the building the surfboard from scratch business, because I do that as well. But for folks who really enjoy the restoration and repair business, it's a fascinating subject for me to get into. So I thought, who in sports is a master at restoring and repairing? And I came up with Pete Carroll coming to USC. He was the fourth choice. Mike Garrett gets credit for hiring him. We're not gonna take that away from him, but let's not forget, he was not the first choice. Dennis Erickson, Mike Bellotti, Mike Riley. These three guys were asked first. And finally, they said, okay, we'll take Pete Carroll, which was without a doubt the greatest choice they could have made. Because Pete Carroll is an expert. His DNA is in restoring a legacy that is USC. For 20 years, it was down in the dumps. 
after Coach John Robinson left the program. Why is Pete Carroll such an expert? Let's listen to Byron Pitts from 60 Minutes interviewing Pete Carroll, and you're about to learn something about Pete Carroll that I bet you you didn't know before, because it isn't just restoring football players, it's restoring people. It's in his DNA. Let's go to number one. He has the highest winning percentage of any active coach in Division I football. He took a once great college team that had been on a 20-year slump and turned it around, winning two national championships. If you're a football fan, you may already know all that. But tonight, you'll see another side of Pete Carroll that you probably don't know. He's taken his coaching ability far beyond the football field to a place you might never expect. Yeah, he took it without police escort, without an entourage, into Watts to meet with gang members and take them onto the football field, on the sidelines, to show them a better life. He restores people. I love Pete Carroll. Let's go to number two. He's been called the Prince of L.A., and this is Pete Carroll's castle, the L.A. Coliseum. Home field to the University of Southern California Trojans. It's here where 93,000 loyal subjects bleed red and gold on Saturdays. A uniquely American ritual played out with more glitz, glamour, and pageantry than almost anywhere else in the country. And let's go to number three. This is how we like it. It's how we want it to be. I don't want it any different than this. I want it as hyped and as, and as uh, big time as possible. And, and, and I want to show that we know how to deal with it and handle it and still play beautifully, you know, so. They played well enough on the day we were there with our cameras to beat up cross-country rival Ohio State. They did it with a stifling defense despite some unusual distractions. During the game, when it was still undecided, one of your players was posing for a picture with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the governor stepped in. I heard he was there. I didn't get to see him. The governor of California, you talk about restoring a legacy. When the governor of California comes to want to be on the sidelines, you know you've done something right to restore that beautiful surfboard made by someone else but you restored it. Number five. One of your rivals, Charlie Weiss, the coach in Notre Dame, said on this program on 60 Minutes that all coaches are miserable. Are you miserable? No, I never have been miserable. I keep thinking day to day that something good is just about to happen, you know, and, and so I, I, that mentality, whether I'm in a game or coaching in the midst of, midst of a season, I don't know how to think otherwise, and that doesn't take you to misery. Mm. Number six. People in this town seem to love you, Coach. I don't, well, I don't know. They, they like winning. This town loves champions, man. They always have these town champions. Pete Carroll's been a champion at USC, but it wasn't always that way. He worked as an assistant coach for 17 years before a less than impressive. Some have even called disastrous run as an NFL head coach. Yeah, when he got hired, people were mad. Why'd you pick that guy? But what they didn't realize is he was the perfect guy because he knew how to restore the legacy of USC better than anybody else. Win two championships, three Heisman Trophy winners. He, it was a period of time, I don't know how many games he won in a row. Was it 33 games in a row? It, he, he broke every record. 
Yeah, he won 34 straight games from 2003 to 2005. He started at only two and five, but then he went over the next 74 games, 67 and seven. Oh, my God. Let's go to number seven. Yeah, I always kind of like that, you know, the big bomb that dropped here. And, you know, when I, when I arrived, you know, the, the, I guess the emails and the faxes and all that stuff were burning up the machines here. Here's one of those emails, Coach. <laughs> I just happen to have with me. Great. This is uh, an email sent to the L.A. Times. What was it about Pete Carroll that made you want to hire him for the head coaching job? Was it his complete lack of recruiting ties to the West Coast? His limited college coaching experience? His reputation for being soft on players? and not a good motivator. Isn't that a beautiful thing? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, they changed their words once he started winning. Let's listen to him in the locker room and you can get a sense of his enthusiasm and how he does what he does. Number eight. How about Ray Mal Lucas going touchdown? At USC, Pete Carroll finally found his calling. His boyish, enthusiastic style that seemed too soft for the NFL has been a perfect fit with younger athletes. He's now one of the highest paid college football coaches in the country at an estimated $4 million a year. Carroll says one of the real secrets to his success can be found on the practice field. A great coach once said that the best players don't always win. The players that play the best do. That's why we work so hard. That's why we train so hard. That's why we focus so much on practicing better than anybody's ever practiced before. The secret, though, is he builds players up. He, he's not like a typical coach. Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame said he's always miserable. But his type of coaching, like most coaches, is tearing players down, criticizing them. Pete Carroll's the opposite. He builds them up. Number nine. Unlike more traditional coaches, Coach Carroll doesn't tear down his players. He builds them up. That's great running, 13. God, that's a good-looking play. Nice going. Great run, Mark. I like it. I like it. We did see him get tough on a player when a fight broke out. Come on, Christian. We don't ever do stuff like that. Never. We never do stuff like that. You're out of the football game. Bro, put your helmet down. God, dog it. One of our players, you know, punched a guy, you know, trying to get him away from him. You know, I ripped his tail pretty good, but I needed to get right back to him and, and teach him what just happened, you know. He's a teacher. But this is the part of this story about Pete Carroll that I did not appreciate beforehand. Let's go to number 10. That's why during football season and more often in the offseason, this high-profile celebrity coach goes into some of the most violent neighborhoods in Los Angeles, recruiting not star athletes, but gang members in an effort to end gang violence. He started these nighttime trips in 2006. There were nearly 300 gang-related murders in L.A. that year alone. Number 11. The need was so obvious. Kids getting killed in the streets is just not okay. It's not all right. Two days after the Trojans beat Ohio State, he took us to Watts. Pete Carroll was reluctant to let us bring our cameras here because he didn't want the young people he met to think he was looking for publicity or exploiting them. He usually travels with no entourage, no security. This housing project is ruled by one of L.A.'s most notorious gangs, the Crips. Listen to him give one of these gang members his cell phone. It's real. He loves restoring a life, a football player, and a kid on the streets in Watts. Number 12. 
Just like he's taught football players from across the country to play as a team, Carroll's trying to teach bitter rivals they can live together without violence. You could quiet this thing down. Wouldn't that be that awesome if you did it? Think if you guys were the guys that did it here and it never been done before. While he was talking, police helicopters constantly flew overhead. They, they call it a ghetto bird. bird. The ghetto bird. The ghetto bird. They're used to those ghetto birds. They're not used to having someone like Pete Carroll give them his cell phone number. I'd be happy to do that, you know? Cool, Get your phone thank out. you. Get your phone out. Sure. It's motivational. I mean, I met Pete Carroll and he said he, he would offer his services to me. He gave you a cell number. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I know LAPD officer Sergeant Curtis Woodall. I know him. I love him. Listen to him talk about Pete Carroll doesn't just repair football programs and young lives in Watts. He repairs police officers and their motivation in a beautiful way. Number 13. Sergeant Curtis Woodall, a 13-year veteran of the L.A. gang wars, was skeptical when Coach Carroll first got involved. I thought it was a joke, to be honest. Not anymore. He credits Pete Carroll's group with helping to reduce the murder rate and changing the attitude of street heart and police officers. He's actually rejuvenated me as a police officer. He's actually giving me hope. It sounds like you are drinking the Kool-Aid big time. Hey, look, as, as long as I can see kids who would not normally walk around here, maybe be at a crime scene under a sheet, I'm happy. Mm. God bless you, Curtis Woodall. And finally, number 14. Look at the expressions on their faces as they watch their first USC practice. These are the boys P. Carroll met in the projects. He invited them here not to make football players out of them, but to show them a different and better world than the one they know. That's really cool you guys are here. P. Carroll moves easily between both his teams. To him, they're all just young men who need a coach. Each person holds so much power within themselves that needs to be let out. And, and sometimes they just need a little nudge, a little direction, a little support, a little coaching. And, uh, and you know, the greatest of things can happen. That story's from Byron Pitts, my favorite, from CBS in 60 Minutes. What about the world of art? Here in, the, in Los Angeles, if you've got a historic painting that's in disrepair, you come to the Getty Museum, where people do this for a living. They repair the surfboard that is high art. In this case, in 1943, Jackson Pollock revolutionized the art world by instead of using a brush, drip the paint onto the canvas. But this particular canvas was the largest one he's, he'd ever done, 20 feet long, the size of an 18-wheeler down the freeway. That's the painting called Mural. He gave it to, he did it for Peggy Guggenheim. And in 1947, she left New York where it was hanging on her wall and she donated it to the University of Iowa's museum. But after 50 years, this massive painting started to sag and crack and chip and the paint was peeling off. So the best surfboard repair people, the best Pete Carroll in sports, the best folks for restoration are here at the Getty. Listen to them and their restoration of Mural by Jackson Pollock, number one. It's a landmark work in that he is shifting in, in his ideas of how to apply the paint 
uh, what kind of paint to use. It's one of the earliest all over uh, compositions. You know, I think it was exciting for everybody to see this shift in, in away from figurative painting towards the abstract. It's the new technology, CAT scans, MRIs I use in the operating room and in the hospital. They've got even better stuff at the Getty Museum to repair this classic painting and many other paintings that are the best in the world. Number two. There's a whole suite of instrumentation being evolved now looking at imaging, uh, an entire work of art. So it's great when you take a tiny microscopic sample of paint. You know, we can tell so much about what's in that tiny, tiny sample, but really that could be a unique case, you know, a bit of paint one inch away from that could be completely different. So when you tie in the point analysis, detecting certain pigments or binders with these new techniques where you can look across the entire surface of the painting and target certain materials, um, we can tell, for example, with mural, we can tell, for example, with mural, we could target the different blue pigments. We could see exactly which blue was put where across the entire surface with hyperspectral imaging, one of the techniques we use, as well as this fantastic, uh, almost sort of fortuitous instance where a particular material that was present in the casein house paints, uh, we, we couldn't detect the casein by imaging, but this component that was only in the casein house paint, um, it was an aluminium silicate extender. Uh, that material we could, uh, um, we could image across the whole surface, so we have a great image where we can see exactly where this house paint was used compared to the oil. But the myth was that he had artist block. Once the canvas was stretched, he couldn't think of anything to do. And then one night, his wife, Lee Kraska, said he got out of bed and in 24 hours made the painting. These detectives, these repair guys, proved that actually that didn't happen. Number five. No, number four. Once Pollock got the canvas stretched, he had this immense, vast, expansive canvas and didn't know what to paint. And so he had, you know, artist's painter's block, if you will, didn't know what to paint. And then uh, inspiration struck him one night and he painted the entire painting in a very short 24-hour, 36-hour period. But we were able to look more closely, of course, at the layers of paint and really show that, in fact, that that couldn't have been possible. And number six. There's a whole range of ways that Pollock was throwing paint at the canvas. Um, a lot of it is brushed on. You can see where the brush strokes are. The brush would have touched the canvas. Um, but he's starting to kind of separate brush and canvas. Um, and even though we look very closely at a lot of the paint in this painting, um, which we thought might have been applied with the painting flat on the studio floor as, as came later. We think that the painting was actually executed entirely vertically, leant up against his studio wall, but with different sort of ways of applying the paint, splatter, some paint is dilute, drips down the surface, other paint flies through the, through, through the air, lands on the canvas and stays very much intact. In when you use your judgment in the repair, there are no right and wrong answers in surfboard repair, in running a football team. Number seven. In conservation, there are often no completely right and completely wrong answers. It's always a sort of a judgment. We make a decision, we weigh up certain things, and we wanted to kind of let the public into some of those thought processes, um, in particular about the shape of the canvas. Listen to the, the technique of the carpenters, the special kind of wood that was required from Alaska.
Number eight. So the stretcher was made here in-house. Uh, we're very lucky here at the Getty in that we have professional carpenters. They worked with us to come up with a design that involves Alaskan cedar, which is a very light but very strong straight-grained straight wood, as well as using a very light but solid support that is, is two layers of very light, thin aluminum with polyethylene in between so that we were able to provide in the sort of open spaces of the stretcher, we were able to put um, a solid material that you're not aware of from the front so that there's no flapping, let's say, around of the canvas itself as it travels. When I got my surfboard back after being repaired by Mint Surfboards, I had the biggest smile on my face to be able to get back in the ocean. When Mural was finished by the Getty Museum in their restoration, Listen to number nine. The most rewarding part of this project undoubtedly was uh, the painting was installed, the gallery is looking great, and then we had a group of about 50 VIPs from Iowa who came um, all the way from Iowa to the opening. They were dressed up, this was a big occasion for them, and they all just went silent and they started applauding. Now, they've known this painting for 30 or 40 years, they've lived with it, um, they know it's important, it's, it's, it's relevance, they're deeply proud that Iowa has this painting. And to have that sort of reaction from them, um, just the appreciation that we'd clearly done something right. Mm. I can't wait to hear Marsha's reaction to that. That's the secret sauce. That's why you do it. That's why you have the passion. The money is one thing, but to have that person see it come to life again, that must be the reason. But we'll find out. And coming up next, we're going to talk to the gang from Mid Surfboards about repairing and restoration in the world of sports, in my beloved world of surfing. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. I grew up with Fritos corn chips. That was the extent of my Mexican food. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Mm, they were good, though. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN 710 home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So excited to talk to my guests, Marsha, Nathan, Natasha from Mint Surfboards. Marsha, thanks so much, and thanks to the gang for getting up early to be with us. Thank you for having us. I can't thank you guys enough because I'm back in the game thanks to you guys surfing it. Up in Ventura, I just love it. Give us some background, Marsha. How did Mint Surfboards get started? What did you do for a living before this all happened? Where did you grow up? What did your father do for a living? <laughs> well, um, Mint Surf got started um, by the three of us, but the whole idea uh, came after um, I was a designer uh, in corporate America for about 21 years. And, you know, as the economy, yeah, as the economy tanked, um, you know, so did a lot of layoffs. So I was laid off after 21 years with the same company. Um, and it mm. kind of left me uh, wondering, what do I do next? Um, and so Nathan and I had become friends with Tasha through, um, you know, her shaping a custom board for me 
And just for all the ding repairs that Nathan needed on his board, um, we became friends. <laughs> with her. Exactly. Um, and so um, as our friendship grew with Tasha, um, you know, I realized that I didn't want to go back into corporate America. And, you know, we just decided, hey, let's do something together. Um, and <laughs> with, a, with a lot of support from some, um, you know, really kind of big people in the surf industry, uh, we just decided, let's just do it. And we opened up Mint Surf. Amazing. And where did you grow up? What did your dad do? I grew up uh, on the East Coast, actually, like in the uh, Mid-Atlantic, Mid Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware area, um, as did Nathan. Mm. And my, my dad was actually um, a doctor. Wow. Now, how did surfing enter your life? Well, uh, I moved out here because of my job with that company. And, um, you know, I never surfed when I was on the East Coast. It was something I always wanted to do. And once I moved out here, um, I just decided, hey, that's something I've always wanted to do. And I started doing it. And um, I just really fell in love with it. And uh, after several years, I just wanted to figure out a way to get involved in the surf industry. And, you know, it just kind of all fell into place. I want to, wow, that's amazing. I want to ask Nathan a question because Nathan, you take so much pride in how you built the, the area that you guys do the restoration, the shaping bays they're called. I want to play a soundbite for you. Steve Paulette, can we play for him from the Getty restoration number eight? So the stretcher was made here in-house. Uh, we're very lucky here at the Getty in that we have professional carpenters. They worked with us to come up with a design that involves Alaskan cedar, which is a very light but very strong straight-grained straight wood, as well as using a very light but solid support that is, is two layers of very light, thin aluminum with polyethylene in between so that we were able to provide in the sort of open spaces of the stretcher, we were able to put um, a solid material that you're not aware of from the front so that there's no flapping, let's say, around of the canvas itself as it travels. There may not be creativity in creating the original surfboard, but one might argue it's more difficult to actually restore someone else's work and that requires a tremendous amount of creativity and you need your own custom tools, workplace, team of carpenters. Is that something you experienced in building the shop, Nathan? We kind of, we got a little bit lucky. There was uh, the shaping bay was the former tenant had already had that space set up. And so we made a few alterations to it. We put a, a barn door on it. And then we painted it, installed the lighting and the ventilation and everything, and transformed it into this really, really neat space now that shapers can come in and use. And then we, Marsha is one who built out the little standing room. Oh, yeah. So we have a little a space that we can do the standing and contain all the, the dust and everything there, kind of a separate hmm. space for that. 
I want to ask both you, before I get to Tasha, both Marsha and Nathan, which is the greatest thing that you're a married couple in business together, repairing surfboards. I think this is like the coolest thing in the world. But riddle me this. What is it that you enjoy, it seems, more about repairing someone else's work rather than actually building it from the ground up, creating the original surfboard? It's got to be something harder to do, I would argue, but what is it that draws you to this field? Well, uh, I love surfing. We both love surfing. And me personally, it's always been my characteristic to fixing things. Um, I think when you're put in that position, you do have to, to think differently. You do want to respect what the previous person did. And I don't know, I, it's just been something that I've always enjoyed um, to be able to fix something, um, get somebody back in the water or just get give something back to a person that they've obviously cared about or, or loved. Mm. Hmm. Not starting from scratch, not starting from the beginning, not introducing someone to the love of surfing, but to restore their love back to them is a different place. That's interesting. How about you, Nathan? I like seeing uh, all the different boards that we get in and uh, the aesthetics, uh, just the, how they've been shaped and the differences from all the, the different boards and the fin setup and the the rocker and the rails and you name it, that's the entire structure of it. And it's, it's always really fascinating. We get some old boards in and like, wow, we've never seen one of these before. And, and we get to hmm. really get to enjoy that aspect of it. So you're more of an, you're more of an art connoisseur. You're one of those folks who's like a food critic, like the great Jonathan Gold was, who loves going to the different restaurants and is at all not interested in making the food himself as a gourmet chef. He's a gourmet eater. You're a surfboard <laughs> eater, not a surfboard chef, right? Yeah, I'm always like, oh, wow, look at this board. This is a beautiful board. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask Natasha about the rewarding aspects and what it feels like to take a difficult problem, whether it's the color the location of the ding, it matters if it's on the side or on the nose or in the tail of the board. It matters what the material is made of. Uh, and matching the color in my board was really a challenge. But before I get that answer, Tasha, I want to play a soundbite and see what your reaction to it is. Let's play Steve Paulette, Getty Museum number nine, the reaction of the folks from Iowa to when the surfboard was finished and it's done when the mural by Jackson Pollock was finished and what a joy it was for the repair people, the restoration people to be in the presence of the customer. Let's play number nine. The most rewarding part of this project undoubtedly was uh, the painting was installed, the gallery is looking great and then we had a group of about 50 
VIPs from Iowa who came um, all the way from Iowa to the opening. They were dressed up, this was a big occasion for them, and they all just went silent and they started applauding. Now, they've known this painting for 30 or 40 years. They've lived with it. Um, they know it's important, it's, it's, it's relevant. They're deeply proud that Iowa has this painting. And to have that sort of reaction from them, um, just the appreciation that we'd clearly done something right. What are, your, what are your thoughts when you hear that, Tasha, about the success of getting it right for you and for the customer? Well, I, I believe that that is kind of the ultimate goal with um, any repair, um, any restoration. And it really is a team effort. Um, as you can imagine, we get all kinds of repairs in here, boards that are completely split apart, um, noses that we have to reconstruct from from new foam um, to get the rocker right, to get the color right. Marsha, again, is a designer. She's an amazing color matcher. Um, we can all do repairs, and with that added touch, she can do old logos, recreate those. We can put on restorations, color matching, so when the customer comes in, a board's all polished, color matched, reconstructed perfectly, their reaction is really kind of what drives us. And we treat every board as if it was our own. And that's really unique. I've, I've worked in several um, environments where that wasn't the case, and we brought that into mm -hmm. MedServe as the main objective. Hmm. Can you take me through, Nathan and Marsha, what, the two of you, what's your most difficult board that you had to repair and teach the listener about the location making a difference in terms of the challenges of where the ding is, whether it's the front, the side, the bottom, the top, what was the most challenging repair you've had, Nathan? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll jump in, and um, this was actually uh, a project that Natasha and I worked on. By the way, this, um, this, Marsha, this proves that you truly are a married couple, because this is what happens, <laughs> you know, when I'm at Cedars and, and Mrs., uh, Mrs. Whatever needs her knee replaced, uh, or I should say Mr. Whatever needs his knee replaced, I ask him, when are you having pain? He, he doesn't say anything. From the corner of the room is the wife who's not having this surgery. She screams out, it's killing him all the time. And the poor guy hasn't said a word. She's answering all the questions. So terrific. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to someone in my office. Thanks. This is terrific. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well. Um, Good job, Nate. Was a, yeah. <laughs> well, he's the, he's, the smart, he's the smart one in that he... Um, he pushes all the different. That he doesn't words. say anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He he knows that uh, he's smart and that he pushes all the difficult stuff to uh, me and Tasha. He's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but uh, this was something um, that Tasha and I worked on. I I was more involved in the color aspect of it, but um, the the challenge was it was a beautiful beautiful Cooper Cooper fish board um, that uh, Gene Cooper shaped. And um, unfortunately, it flew off the top of uh, the customer's uh, car. 
And the board just got wrecked. And so the challenge was not just to get it back in the water so that it was watertight and surfable, but also um, bring it back cosmetically because it was severely damaged. Um, And it was definitely um, a thought process. And and, um, Tasha really was the the creative um, person who came up with the the solution for it. And, um, you know, it it entailed just different things, you know, let's try this. Um, If that didn't work, you know, she was willing to kind of start from scratch again and, and just um, make sure we could get the board back um, and keep all these things in mind, the weight, you know, don't add too much and make it solid, all of that. And, you know, it was, it was just amazing how you can get the board shape exactly to the way it was before. Um, And that really takes a skill um, from somebody who understands shaping. And that's where Mm. with Tasha, I mean, her, her skill set is the ability to understand, you know, what, what the bottom should be again, um, knowing the rails, just, just all of that, the rocker. And, um, Mm. you know, it was definitely a challenge. I mean, the entire board had damage except for the fin, um, which Mm. was glassed in, which was just the strangest thing ever. I mean, every part of that board was destroyed. Um, and you know, just the fin survived. So, um, you know, together we figured out the best way to cosmetically um, get the board um, close to what it was before and, and in some ways enhance it. So that was by far the most challenging um, repair we've ever seen in here. What I find most fascinating, just talking with you guys, particularly talking to you right now, Marsha, is the passion you have. And I don't care whether you're an IT tech, you're an electrician, you're the president of a big company, you're a surgeon. You want in life is passion for something. And you guys certainly have the passion. And it's a beautiful thing just to listen to you talk about it. Half the people listening right now don't know one end of a surfboard from another, but they can tell how much you love doing what you're doing. And that's what you want with your life. So good for you guys to put together something you should be very proud of, which is a place where you can restore the joy for all of your customers. And I am one of them. Being able to ride that board, knowing where that ding was, and I couldn't ride it the way it was, you've given me my life back on the ocean. I can't thank you guys enough. And thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you. All right. All right. God bless you guys. See you later. And thanks so much for joining us. All right, Warriors, we'll take a break. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. What's the best medicine besides chicken soup, (laughs) vitamin C, (laughs) green tea, (laughs) prunes, Uh, shot whiskey? (laughs) Not around here. What's the best medicine? I cannot wait. We call it clafter. (laughs) I'll tell you about trouble. I got the wrong doctor. You know my doctor, Dr. Clapper. No, my doctor. What a doctor. You kidding What a doctor. I called him up. I told him I had diarrhea. Put me on hold. Clapper. 
You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. From now on, I am not Robert Clapper. I want you to call me Smokey. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Dr. Smokey Clapper. That's the greatest. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's George Michael. That's one of the, this is one of the songs I'm taking to the deserted island. That was one of my island songs. I was listening to this in the operating room yesterday. I always start off with the tougher cases in the morning, the complicated ones, and I'm playing Eric Clapton. But then as the day goes on, I'll listen to George Michael. It gives energy to the room. It's just fantastic, the power of music in the operating room for me. All right, this will be a short segment, and we'll pay some bills. I want to tell you where, in my opinion, the best shredded beef burrito that I've ever had. I held it in my hands. I promised myself I would just drive home, eat it in my kitchen. That didn't happen. I promised myself I'm only eating half of it because this is heavy. That didn't happen. I ate the whole thing. My mouth is watering already. The combination, it's like a chemistry experiment of the right amount of beans and the right amount of rice. But whatever they do to season the shredded beef and the homemade salsa, I had four containers of the salsa. So every bite, I poured another half a cup of the salsa that they gave me on the burrito. It was all over me. I'm sitting behind a steering wheel. I got no place to stretch out. I inhaled this beef burrito. It's in Camarillo, and it's been there for decades. It's Bobby's Mexican Grill. I don't know what the grill's for, and I don't care about the grill. I just want that shredded beef burrito. Go there. You will thank me a thousand times. Coming up next, we're going to talk about next week. What a special guest we have. And the whole idea of putting two people together in art, in sports, fascinates me. And we'll be talking to an expert. I'll tell you who that is. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Drink Dr. Clapper, and I'm proud. I'm part of an original crowd. And if you look around these days, there seems to be a Dr. Clapper craze. I'm a Clapper, he's a Clapper, she's a Clapper, we're a Clapper. Wouldn't you like to be a Clapper? I'm a Clapper, he's a Clapper, she's a Clapper. If you drink Dr. Clapper, you're a Clapper to be a Clapper. Drink Dr. Clapper, be a Clapper. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. 
What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what your new nickname is for me? <laughs> Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> oh, this is how I end every day in the opera. The last voice I hear. Oh, I love her. Charday, smooth operator. This is from her Diamond Life album. I remember when she was brand new. I was still in my orthopedic residency in New York at special surgery. All right, the lines are all lit up. We have a clinic. We should use it. The number is 877-710-ESPN. To all of you I can't get to. There's always next week. Let's go to Steve in Huntington Beach. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper. I just want to tell you what a great show you have. And you spread you. aloha. You spread aloha to uh, the people with your talk about surfing and your, your love and appreciation of art, life, and everything. And as well as uh, you know, shedding a great light on our health and like Thank I, you. Have, uh, I have lower back pain, but I still I still paddle out. I get out of my bodyboard and great, great. Um, salt saltwater therapy has been working for me forever, so I'm not good for you. And hopefully, I can continue. You know, for another twenty years. Whenever I go out, Steve, and I'll be out there tomorrow, and I'll be looking at the horizon, sitting there with my friends, waiting for the sets to come, I hear the voice of a man who's about to celebrate his 130th birthday, the great Duke Kahanamoku. And Duke Kahanamoku's, his voice is in my head, because when I look at that horizon, looking for the waves to line up and the sets to come in, he used to say, don't worry, the waves will come. And <laughs> it's a metaphor for life. Some of the greatest Zen Buddhists we have, they're surfers. Jerry Lopez, if you can buy it with money, it's cheap. Don't yeah. worry, the wave will come. What an optimistic and hopeful way to look at life. That is the spirit of aloha. That. Uh -huh is Duke Hanamoku. So God bless you. Stay in the water. The buoyancy of the water, the resistance on your muscle, keeping those shock absorbers that surround your discs and your spine in shape. Don't let them give you steroids orally or epidurals. And you got to do your best to stay away from surgery. Yeah, if you got a foot drop, you can't pee. People can have spine surgery. And I know the best in the business if you, God forbid, need it. But you need to do everything you can to be holistic. Staying in the water is the greatest thing you can do for your neck, your thoracic spine where your ribs are, and certainly your lumbar spine, those five lumbar spine that connect your rib cage to your pelvis. They need water. I love telling people the fountain of youth is in the fountain. It's in the water. That's where healing really lives. One day I was out surfing at Pops in uh, the South Shore of Oahu, and lo and behold, I'm now, the two of us in the water together was Jerry Lopez. Can you imagine? Wow. 
This is like huh. this is like being a comedian and, and going to dinner and sitting next to you is Jerry Seinfeld. For me, yeah. I'm yeah. sitting next to on my board. I mean, I'm a Jewish guy from New York. I have no business being on a surfboard in Hawaii, but there I was. And sitting with me is Jerry Lopez, who's talking to me. You know why? Because when they made Conan the Barbarian, the yeah. stunt coordinator was Terry Leonard. And Terry Leonard, who's been a guest on this show many times, one of the greatest stunt coordinators ever. He did all the Indiana Jones movies and the Fast and Furious movies. And I've taken care of him for many years. He's good friends with Jerry Lopez. Jerry Lopez says to me, Dr. Clapper, as I shake his hand, I have your card in my wallet in case I hurt myself. I looked at him and go, how could you have my card in your wallet? He said, because Terry Leonard told me if I hurt myself, you're the guy I got to call. And then and the reason I'm telling you this story is it was Jerry Lopez telling me where we are right now in this certain spot called Pops, the ancient Hawaiians felt these waters healed you. These are healing waters and no truer words are spoken. Huntington Beach, healing waters. Keep bodyboarding. That's how you'll keep your spine in shape, Stephen. And thanks so much for the kind words. I really appreciate it. All right, Warriors, next week, my guess, if you grew up like I did, there was a TV show in the 60s that changed the world. It was called Rowan and Martin's Laughing. The man who created that life-changing show, bringing comedians together, having it hosted by a straight man and a funny man, but the straight man really was as funny as the funny man, was George Schlatter. George Schlatter is going to be my guest next Saturday, and I cannot wait to talk to him because it makes me think already. It isn't even Saturday. It isn't even next week. It is Saturday, but it's the week before. Where in art, where in sports, where in surgery do you see the power in the yin and the yang of the straight man, the funny man, but that the straight man is even funnier than the funny man? I'll give you a clue. Pat Summerall in sports. You'll hear more next week. And thanks so much for joining me each and every Saturday. I'll leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm, fly and I'm flying. Until next Saturday, I'll see you on the radio. Vol